You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week we have an extremely special and unique episode. We haven't covered this off in any way before. We're focusing on a specific apartment development and we're focusing more specifically on blockchain technology and how this new technology is assisting with the uh, strata owners, the developers of this apartment development to uh, reduce strata fees and also create Perth's first, I guess we could call it, maybe even Australia's first carbon neutral apartment development when it comes to sharing and trading off-grid electricity with batteries and solar. I'm still trying to get my head around it myself, but that's why we have in today my good friend Luke Parker from OP Properties. Luke, hello. Good morning, Trent. And Karen McLaren from Power Ledger. Thank you very much for coming in, Karen. Morning, Trent. I think before we talk about what an apartment building is, because we all know what that is, what is Power Ledger? And explain a little bit about how this blockchain technology that you've created is going to enable people, not only in this apartment development, but in many other developments, even down to a triplex level, to trade their own solar power within the complex itself without having to pay the government for electricity. Explain that to me in a really simple way if you can, Karen. Power Ledger is a WA-owned and operated company. We've been operating for four years and we're about disrupting the energy market. It's putting the power back into people's hands, allowing them to manage their own power and monetize what's on the roof space. So we're going from the old traditional centralised system where you've got coal-fired power stations, you push that through the network and then it goes through a retailer, it then goes to the end customer. At every point you're paying someone for that service, whereas now you've got your own little mini power station on the roof, you've got your own solar, in some cases you've got battery. So you want to monetize that if you're not using it. Currently, you're just spilling it to the grid. You're selling it back to Synergy or Western Power? Yeah, well... Who is it? If you're in an apartment block like Montreal Commons, you get zero for it because um, it's too big a system, so you've got no feed-in tariff. So you're selling it for nothing? You, you pass it you to the grid it. for... That's exactly You're giving right. it away for free? You're giving it away for free. And if I've just got a solar panel on my normal house, I'll be selling it back to... Who is it? I'm selling it back to Synergy or Western Power? Who, you're selling it to your retailer. It so could be Synergy. probably Synergy? Yeah. And what am I normally selling it back for these days? If it's, a, if it's an individual home, you would get seven cents. But we pay a lot more for that power from Synergy, don't we? Yeah, you'll pay 28 cents. All right, so when right now the power we're using to record this ep- episode, I'm paying Synergy 28 cents per kilowatt hour. That's right. That's the unit of measure. And if I had a solar panel on top of my roof uh, and it was compliant and met, blah, 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 I would be able to sell that back to Synergy for $0.07 cents per kilowatt hour. So daylight robbery happening there already. You're saying that we have a different option. We can sell yes. it back to our mates in our complex at what rate? What, how would it work? So you, within the strata or within the owners, you can decide, you can set those rates. Um, so an example is um, we've got a, uh, one of the projects already in WA. Instead of spilling it back to the grid and getting zero, they're selling it to their neighbours at 21 cents. Because that's still cheaper than 28. Yeah. 
So we can. It's sort of like a demand and supply thing. It, it, yeah. You know, you can set your own. I guess what price you buy it at, what price you're happy to sell mm-hmm. it for, and as long as everyone's matching up within this blockchain sort of marketplace, I guess you could call it this yep. platform, people are just automatically going in day to day and and not having to do anything. I guess not physically, but just their computer, their AI is buying and selling their own solar power as it's needed to avoid having to pay the grid 28 cents yeah is that so, is that sort yeah. of the point and and the 21 cents you you can determine that so they're paying 21 cents so i'm not using it i'm i'm saving money so when i buy it back from synergy in the evening at 28 i've already bridged some of that gap so not only am i being able to buy it for cheaper i'm actually being able to sell it in a place where I otherwise possibly couldn't even sell it for anything. That's right. So you're so, monetizing your own solar panels that uh, the government told us we could monetize, but it's becoming a lot less profitable as the years go on. That's right. And uh-huh. I mean, and you, so many people here in WA are, are FIFO, for example. So if you go away for two weeks, you're still paying Synergy a dollar a day every day to keep the power on at your site. You don't have to do that when you're uh, in the embedded networks. And that all that energy, that your, your portion of that energy every day, you can sell that to your neighbours because you're not at home, you're not using it. So when you come back, you've got um, money in the bank that covers you for the next couple of weeks. So you, you could end up in credit as opposed to having a bill there. So I guess there's obviously Western Power and Synergy and the government are going to want to have their hands in this. The way that it's working right now is that when it's off-grid, it's behind the meter. When it's on your own site, whether it's in a strata complex or a survey strata complex, you you go for your life, you can sell it between each other. But the second that that power has to get back on the grid, I assume that currently isn't a framework without having to then pay Synergy again for, for right. tariffs and those sort of things. So is I guess that you guys hoping for a future where their government catches up and they allow us to all trade, you know, I can trade my power with someone four suburbs away? That's right. Is so that the future? That That is the future. And when you look at um, the Energy Minister's energy transformation uh, strategy, that's, that's the direction it's looking to go in. Everybody sees peer-to-peer energy trading as the way of the future. Everyone's got their own um, solar and so much more battery. I think we've got one, we had one in four now down to one in three homes has got solar. Uh, so you really need to, to manage that better. It does seem like uh, really a precipice that's hitting where we're either going to have so much solar and nowhere to put it. And from the government side, uh, no one needs it anymore, even though it's paying billions of dollars a year to maintain it. So it needs to get some grab money off of people. Luke Parker, thanks for coming in, mate. Uh, from the developer's side, why did you get involved with Power Ledger and why do you see really the benefit of a carbon neutral other than I guess the advertising of it right because sure. it's pretty cool what's the whole benefit of going carbon neutral in an apartment building oh Trent look it, it's really exciting for OP properties and for the industry as well the, the real benefit the combination of developer funded solar uh, the large battery storage facility nearby as part of the, the development's East Village Nutsford precinct and blockchain technology via um, PowerLedger's platform allows us to fund and build this apartment development so that it will consume 100% sustainably sourced power. And by setting up a unique model where the Strata company owns the PV, which is not subject to any payback because we've... By PV, you mean the solar panels? The solar panels, uh, because we as the developer have funded all of it. The Strata company is able to produce its own power 
import additional from the battery or from sustainably sourced grid power and on sale to the to the residents within the apartment building so the residents are paying the same rate as they would normally to get sustainably sourced power so they're they're paying no more but they're better off and as a result we get 100 percent sustainably sourced power which underpins this to be one of the first apartment buildings in australia to be carbon neutral at completion and then the financial benefit gained by the strata company because the strata company is making a clip right correct yep. will offset the strata levies by half so that's is- cool so not only sorry to cut you off luke but not only are there the green benefits there are also financial benefits that power ledger is obviating is is making available uh through their technology for strata managers who decide that they want to invest in solar not just to be good for the planet but there's actually now a way to monetize that to our tenants or even the owners right absolutely and so what we really set out to achieve and in designing this building is how can we make low carbon living financially beneficial because it's up until this point it's it's they're mutually exclusive words a lot of the time aren't they absolutely and people want to live lower carbon but people aren't really ready yet to pay yeah, for there's it. a price for it yeah. well we say well these apartments cost no more than an equivalent apartment down the road they're high quality they've got beautiful design from hill architects and it's going to be carbon neutral on the first in australia so if you know your apartment on average will produce six tons less of carbon emissions a year or 240 tons yeah so good for the soul and you get financially rewarded for making that wise investment and conscientious investment decision so it's a win-win so and that financial reward you're saying is, is effectively going to assist to halve strata costs correct and the reason we set it up in, in the unique by the strata company because often solar panels might be on the roof but allocated to apartments so if you're home during the day it's great because you get cheap power but if you're not home during the day because you're fifo or you work work yeah. or you're an investor with a tenant and you're not there, then you get no financial reward. But running it via the strata company means that all of the reward is equitably split between owners. And the owners in the day are the ones that are making the investment decision to buy and therefore fund these built outcomes. And so we really want them to get the the financial benefit. So if you're an owner-occupier, you're an owner, so you share the benefit. But if you're an investor, you still share the benefit and you get significantly reduced holding costs for choosing to invest in a carbon neutral apartment building okay so as an example what do you think without power ledger and without this technology the strata fees on this development would have been as a rough guide on average they're coming out about 1750 per apartment per quarter per, per annum per annum yep. so one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars per annum before power ledger was involved correct and with power ledger coming in do you with have any assessments ledger, of what you think that, with the, that will with be? The, the funded solar Revenue generated per apartment will be about $850 per annum ongoing. It's going to turn that $1,750 a year of strata fees into $900 a year in strata fees. 50%, absolutely. Yeah, yep. that's, look, and all we have to do is thank Mr. Sun for it. That's pretty easy. <laughs> that's right. And thank PowerLedger for the tech, you know, Hillen for the great architecture and for the, the developer-funded solar which means there's no payback period for the strata company that is where that margin normally goes towards yeah okay so into the future i guess there's a question for both of you luke and karen how do you see or what needs to happen for this to become a more prevalent technology for 
mum and dad's to access because it's all well and good for a big developer mm. like you Luke to be able to go, oh yeah we're going to do this cool big thing on a big expensive multi-million dollar development but what about a mum and dad who wants to do a triplex <laughs> or something or and, and, and retain it as an owner have tenants and then go well look I want to have solar but what's the point the tenants aren't paying me any more money for it this is now a way for them to you know, get some financial reward for that. Mm-hmm. Well, we actually did do a pilot trial with mums and dads' houses across Fremantle, 48 homes. It was a Renew Nexus project. And the findings from that dictated that we need better network tariffs, we need better pricing uh, to be able to transport the energy across the network. So it brings us back to we need regulatory change. Uh, so we're lobbying that at the moment. Uh, if we could get regulatory change to allow for peer-to-peer trading, that would allow mums and dads to sell between their houses. How many years away do you think that could be? Two years, five years, ten years? Because it, it's super exciting. Mm. The second that we have regulatory change which probably means yeah look the government takes a clip somewhere but you know there's still a benefit overall for everyone in the community to be able to trade their solar which incentivizes them to spend more on more solar and more batteries right which puts less pressure on the grid less pressure on maintenance costs less pressure on western power always losing money every year surely it's a no-brainer right Most uh, departments and regulatory offices are looking at it. I mean, the Australian Energy Market Commission last year in their paper before Christmas, they actually pointed out that uh, peer-to-peer trading is the way forward. We need to start looking at that. And Western Power are certainly looking at it. They've got the innovation team uh, that are looking at all different options. They're bringing in community batteries that are helping. But that's only uh, small projects. Um, they've been inundated with different projects just now. But for us, we just need the regulation to change to say that we'll permit peer-to-peer trading and allow mums and dads. We can track all, so everything's trackable on the blockchain. So every single kilowatt hour from generation source to consumption can be tracked and accounted for. I think in the meantime, because it, it will take time, I think, mm-hmm. for the policy environment to, to move forward to closer to where it needs to be i think in the meantime for smaller subdivisions the principles that we're deploying on montreal commons can be deployed on small Mm -hmm. subdivisions if you're a developer doing a a three lot triplex then you can still fund that solar and you can use blockchain technology and you can still trade the power generated to your tenants and sell it to them at grid price and get the benefit of the margin for investing in that solar. So the principles aren't that different, despite Montreal Commons being fortunate to be within the East Village Nutsford, which is a very sustainable precinct. The principles being deployed here are scalable and are able to be applied really um, across the state and across the country on small and larger apartment developments. So right now they're available on developments, whether it's a triplex, all the way up to an apartment building as long as it's behind the meter, if that makes sense. Correct. So off-grid. So when you're off-grid and you're in your own little development, your own little complex, whether it's a triplex or 50 apartments, there is now a technology available where you can trade that power either as an owner of the whole thing or owner of individual units. Uh, but what we're really looking for in the future is an ability to then s- send that power off of our own little s- complex yeah. and five suburbs away. And that's where it really is going to take off. Yes, absolutely. That's it. Okay, so back to Montreal Commons, Luke. 
this place, you know, we can't go walk past it right now. You haven't finished it yet, have you? It's not even off the ground yet, is it? No, Trent, we've just lodged our development application after some, some really positive uh, dialogue, collaboration with key stakeholders being Development WA and, and the City of Fremantle. And we're really hopeful of, of gaining a development approval later this year. And really, the announcements made today and also on, on Friday just gone with the partnership with Power Ledger is we're really looking to communicate to, to the community what we're looking to achieve on Montreal Commons. You know, Hillam Architects done a beautiful design. Uh, the location is, is in the heart of Fremantle, opposite uh, the golf course and bushland on the corner of Montreal and Nutsford Street uh, as part of the overall East Village Nutsford Development WA precinct development. And we'd really encourage those that are interested in, in following the project to register their interest at um, montrealcommons.com.au. We'll be sending out regular uh, updates on the project later this year, hopeful of approval. And then we'll be stepping through um, our sales and marketing and looking to commence construction next year. Well, look, what I think it, it really presents itself as an opportunity for those people who like investing in apartments, because I'm sure they'll be available for purchase at some point next year, right? Later this year. Later yes. this year, right? Correct. Um That, you know, if you're looking for an apartment in a cool area like Fremantle, but also one that will have probably the lowest strata fees for the value you're getting in and, Western and Australia. And energy. And also being, you know, that exactly right. I mean, the green side is always important in that area too. This is probably one of the flag, or is the flagship development in Western Australia pushing the boundary in this space. And I probably think there's probably a lot of other developers who will quietly be watching too to see how all this turns out for you guys, not only just on a sales aspect, because it makes it more attractive for investors to come in or even just owner-occupiers to come in and benefit from that, but also from you know the green side and, and their ability to make some money along the way as owners too. Yeah, definitely. And look, even with just some, some little announcements here or there with some renders we've put up on social media, you know, we're, we're getting calls already. We're getting people registering their interest. They're all asking about this new development. So we're really encouraged so far with, with having done very little media and, and project promotion. So, and yeah, we're really hopeful that, um, you know, the market and, and, and the community looks at this in development and goes, wow, this is great. This is a really this good a future. investment. And this is a type of investment that will give me good financial return, but also I'll be supporting the progression of the industry and I'll be taking ownership over the way I live and the investments that I choose to invest in and the carbon emissions as a, as a result of those things. We, we, this can put the power back in in individuals' hands, in the decisions that they make. How's that for a pun, hey? The power back in the, in individuals' hands. That's right. It's true, though, right? Karen, Karen gave me that one earlier. You're literally, <laughs> you're literally getting power, but it's also political power, I guess, or, or economic power of being able to monetize. the. Because that's the thing I think that most people have been frustrated about when they have got solar or apprehensive about not getting solar is because they think I'm going to spend all this money and yeah I'm going to save some money in you know in the daytime or other than that I'm getting screwed on the back end from the government if I'm selling it back to people and I'm going to have to buy a battery if if uh, if I have to use it at night so uh, I think when you've got an option here to finally monetize your solar that I think is really going to start pricking people's ears up all right, Montreal Commons is the apartment building. We'll follow that closely. And Power Ledger is the company uh, really pushing the boundary on that blockchain technology. Luke Parker, Karen McLaren, thank you very much for coming in, guys. I really appreciate your time. This is cool. This is the stuff we like talking about. And I think in a couple of years' time, when we look back on this project being finished, it won't be the only one in Perth. Thanks, Trent. Thanks, Trent.
Okay, suburb spotlight time. We are talking Hamilton Hill. We are back in the city of Coburn. We have Luke Trollio back in again, of course. We did signpost this uh, when we were chatting Spearwood. Luke, you're number one in this one as well. Thanks for coming in again, mate. Thanks for having me back, mate. Really appreciate it. First question, on paper, which would be the more well-off suburb, Spearwood or Hamilton Hill? I, I find it hard to tell. And you know what? So do I, and here's why. From an investment point of view perspective, I've got properties in both. So the neighbouring suburbs. Mm. However, there is somewhat of a divide with a certain portion of buyers. I find it a little bit interesting. Some buyers will say, I don't want to go as far south as Spearwood, yet it's literally a one-minute drive from Hamilton Hill. Others, I know I've heard bad things about Hamilton Hill. I don't want to go there. Just let me know if anything pops up in Spearwood. I've got investment properties in both, and I actually view them as the same. The build, the build qualities and build types are the same or similar? Oh, look, similar era. I mean, Hamilton Hill would be slightly older. You've got more of the fibro and cottage and character homes, in particular along west of Carrington Street, for example, Stratton Street. In saying that, the era overall would be somewhat similar and the style of home would be fairly similar too. So let's segue to that then. Where we always like to go is, is the history side. We already had a chat about Spearwood and the ethnic history in the market gardens. I think the topography of Hamilton Hill and, as you said, the, the build types are a little bit different. Yeah. How was Hamilton Hill different uh, originally to, to Spearwood? What was it offering or what type of people were there? To my knowledge, going way back in the infant stages of when the actual suburb was named Hamilton Hill, I think that may have predated Spearwood by around about... 30 or 40 years. That's a big difference for a neighbouring suburb, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was a fringe, obviously, for a while. Yep, absolutely. And I guess part of that reason would be proximity to Fremantle or South Fremantle, Hamilton Hill being closer, marginally. You had the New Market Tavern uh, on the corner there. Outside of that, you still had so many things. For example, the, the paddocks, the pastoral care, market gardens. That was not only the way of life, but also the way of earning an income back in the day. The earliest settlers would still be Manning, um, Rob, although Rob may have been more partial to Spearwood. Um, the name Rob's Jetty is named after him. Would I be right in maybe saying that Hamilton Hill, given its bit more broader, longer history, was sort of the workers' cottage, workers' area of Fremantle at the time, and then Spearwood, given it came in in its own sort of generation with its own people, was really it's it, you know, another standalone settlement or another standalone community, and it's just happenstance these days that they neighbour each other? Uh, I think part of that is true. Certainly the first part of what you've said with regard to the Fremantle workers, what would happen is when people migrated over to WA, many being family and friends of the already existing population, with a shortage of, of land, they would have uh, moved further south to Spearwood. And I say shortage of land purely because there were massive plots of land, but there were massive plots of land to run the business, the market gardens. A very, very different philosophy to today where you might have a large portion of land with the propensity to subdivide. Residential. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very, very different school of thought different back in zoning. that era. And different zoning, of course. But the zoning still did allow for some large portions of land to be chopped up into other large portions. But because they needed it for the necessity of work, different story altogether. As a resident of Hamilton Hill these days, how do I differ from a resident of Spearwood? Am I going to different schools? Am I looking towards Fremantle or towards Murdoch? Or is it all still one mishmash in your eyes? Overall, I'd say schooling is a little bit different. There are East Hamilton Hill Primary School, 
Uh, you've got other little community kind of schools. It does almost feel in the west of Carrington Street pocket of Hamilton Hill, more of a greeny community sort of vibe there. Bit hippie? Bit more, yeah, a bit more hippie There's a lot on of the hippie color. side. There's a few houses and I've been where well. every bedroom is your blue, green, purple yellow, and, purple. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit eclectic is maybe the it word. It is, yeah. Hamilton Hill would be a little bit more eclectic than Spearwood is. But I suppose that could be one divide, if, if you want to use the word divide. Spearwood, possibly more aligned to Coogee. Hamilton Hill, possibly more aligned to Fremantle. That's in terms of the numbers. But overall, um, all amenities are used by both both suburbs. Historically, has there been a bit more state housing in Hamilton Hill than Spearwood? Certainly has. Part of that is to do with the age of the suburb in conjunction with the style of homes or in the opposite, the style of home to reflect some of the state housing back to before when we mentioned the fibre sort of homes or the stick frame homes, which you'd you'd find more in Hamilton Hill than Spearwood. They were traditionally used in part for state housing and its proximity itself to Hilton being closer to Coolbelup, for example, than Spearwood. That's where they used to have a lot of state housing. A lot of it's been gentrified these days. Every year you see less and less of them and you see more developments going up. How are you seeing the demographic of people with Hamilton Hill change? Me personally, I think 10 to 15 years ago, there was a bit of a stain on the idea of Hamilton Hill. I'd rather be in Spearwood or I'd rather be in Hilton. I I heard that a lot. Or even Coolbelup, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that's starting to fall away. Yeah, it is. With the subdivisions, some new builds being constructed, it's allowed more residents to enter into the area and that's been the younger sort of people that do want that Fremantle lifestyle but unfortunately for them and it's not a big deal at all they don't have the their budget to facilitate no (laughs) not many people can afford to live in Fremantle or South Fremantle absolutely right there's nothing wrong with that not at all Um, so that's actually a positive in that they can still have the Fremantle lifestyle but without the associated price tag yeah Uh, I would sort of in a way compare uh, Hamilton Hill if we're thinking about the north of the, of the river, to maybe a Belden or a Craigie uh, in, in, in probably its price point and also the fact that it's actually it's quite a convenient position if you direct your lifestyle towards Hillary's and that lifestyle in the north. Well, Craigie and, and Belden and Pabbery, for, for another point, they're very close. And in the same way, if you're a Fremantle-facing person, well, Hamilton Hill is very close to a lot of the cool stuff going on, in the, especially in the South Fremantle Strip these days. It is, and it also gives you the opportunity to perhaps have a or acquire a piece of property with a larger plot of land. The majority of the Fremantle uh, dwellings and South Fremantle dwellings are on the smaller portions of land. The so, terrace properties. Yeah, yeah, precisely terrace properties. So you can have the space and the lifestyle together without the price tag. Plus we're coming across a lot of people, nurses in particular, who might work at uh, Fiona Stanley or Murdoch, and Hamilton Hill, Spearwood, Coolbelup for that matter as well, very, very popular choices for the nurses. About eight years ago, Coolbelup and Hamilton Hill were about the same price as Balga. They both went through the roof in pricing. They both came back, like mo- a lot of Perth, in 2015. Yeah. Balga came back about 40%. Coolbelup, however, and Hamilton Hill 
only came back about 25, 30% at the max. More, you know, and, and they've been the first to come back. They, you know, the prices have started lifting again in Coolbluff yeah. and Hamilton Hill. And I think a big reason for that is what we always talk about here, it's the qualitative fundamentals of that suburb and what it has to offer. It has a lot more to offer, in my opinion, than Balga because of what's going on at Murdoch. The precinct is getting so much money pumped into it, and there's so many people working there these days. If they yep. can't afford Cardinia because they're, you know, they're a nurse, they can't afford Winthrop, they can't afford Bateman, well, where are they going to go? It's Cool Bluff. Cool it's Bluff, Hamilton, Hamilton Hill. Hill. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, and th- it's... these are good, well-to-do people with good incomes, solid incomes, investing in these suburbs, investing in these schools and this lifestyle. That is gentrification. That is the definition right there. Yeah, absolutely is. You've also got lots and lots of things happening regarding little community get-togethers. You know, you've got growers' markets in in outer suburbs. You've got cafes, things of that nature that bring people together and make people want to go outside. That tends to indicate that's where people want to be. What am I paying for a full block in Hamilton Hill? Definitely depends on what pocket of Hamilton Hill you, you refer to. But if you're looking at a blanket answer for Hamilton Hill in general... For a full block of land, again, normally around about the 728 square metre block, uh, you're going to be paying between the 470 and, and early $500,000. That sort of lends itself congruent to the median price. It'll be around about the $470,000. But again, if you're looking to buy on that west side of Carrington Street, $470,000 is not going to buy you much. That is more than cool below. Oh, it is. Hamilton Hill is further away from the city than Coolbelup. How does that happen? I believe it's Fremantle and it's Coogee Beach. And it is because potentially due to a lesser amount of state housing and a potential stigma with Coolbelup. But as you've mentioned before, it's gentrified. State housing, I believe, have saturated their their purchase in and around the Coolbelup area. And it's just the large blocks... Close to Fremantle, close to Coogee, close to Manning Park. People do tend to love the Hamilton Hill area. If I'm doing a development there, what's my zoning? What am I looking to do? What are they worth when I'm done? Okay, good question. Regarding zoning, depending upon where you are, typically speaking, you might have a couple of R30 or R40 sites. You do come across numerous that are R30, R40, R60 split zoning code. With respect to prices... The R30, R40, R60 tend to gravitate toward the larger plots of land. Speaking of a single on an R30 plot or an R40 plot, they're going to go for around about the $500,000. What the end result would be is more than likely what we're seeing is a 3 by 2 property being built, single storey more so, although there are a couple of double storeys being built, and the single storey 3 by 2s if they're produced in mass, in other words, a fairly generic standard and quite a lot of them on site, they've been hit. They, they might only achieve 420, 430. If it's a very respectable quality and it's in a development of two or three, then you can be pushing more toward your 460, 470. The thing that we have to consider now and potentially overcome is the government grants that have recently been enacted. And that's both a positive and a negative. It's a positive for those people who potentially needed that grant in order to be able to move. The negative can be looked at with respect to, say, your standard triplex development where they might have achieved 430, 440, 450 before. Now, a lot of the buyer feedback might be, 
why would I pay 430 or 440 for that property, a three by two, three years old in a complex of three strata property where I might be able to pick up a survey strata block for around two to 220, spend two to 220 for a house. Yes, I'm gonna go through the building process and the time of construction, but after it's all said and done, I may potentially end up with a brand new property standalone for $360,000. So that's where we have to be a little bit cautious about if you're a developer, what are you building? What's your target market? What time frame are you going to complete the project in? And then also the buyer would have to be quite careful about do they want a product that's tangible, they can walk through it, they can feel it, they know what they're getting, or are they prepared to go through the process to get that sort of cosmetic and aesthetic brilliance of a new property but with some over or overcoming some hurdles the time frame so the two different kinds of properties two different schools of thought but that's what we're seeing at the moment in Hamilton Hill if you had to do a development in Hamilton Hill or Spearwood right now yep where would you go to do that development if you're going to be building in line with more of an eco-sustainable home Hamilton Hill would be the way to go because that the area does lend itself more to the eclectic kind of buyer. You'll have buyers. Yes. If it's more toward the Spearwood side, more of your traditional home, um, still very, very nice inside, but more of your traditional three by two, then that would be Spearwood. I believe Hamilton Hill is a bit more eclectic and they do derive a slightly different product than the Spearwood um, residents. So what you've done there is you've referenced two different types of developers. You've referenced the developer who's sort of looking on the back of the envelope, uh, the cash side of things and the money side of things. And you've then referenced a developer who's more looking at creatively the outcome, the built form, looking for what can they achieve in terms of a physical pride in the level and, and let's see what the market does. That's a really interesting aspect because I think a developer needs both. I don't yeah. think you can be one or the other because if, you can, if you're just going to look to make something, well, you may as well go to a pottery class and you can enjoy that for a lot less money That's risk, right? right? <laughs> uh, and if you're looking to make money, then uh, the, the first way you can shoot yourself in the foot as a developer is just looking at the, at the pre-fees and not actually creating a product you're proud of and that other people really, really would line up to buy to. That's right. What I would hear from in that point is that if you have the ability to be quite financial and astute financially about your very custom, sexy development in Hamilton Hill, there will be a market. There will be. There will be. I mean, we've just launched a, uh, a campaign last week, the Chesham Sun campaign, and we've been uh, fairly overwhelmed with inquiry, and that is in line with the eco-sustainable home. It's very, very prominent and, again, almost reminiscent of pockets of Fremantle, but without that Fremantle price tag. I like that. And that's who you're, that's who you're attracting. You're looking for people who, as you said in uh, our Spearwood episode, who probably grew up in the area and looking to reinvest back in the area. Culturally, people from Fremantle put a high value on eco-sustainable things, uh, eco-sustainable living, uh, and, and Hamilton Hill is in that catchment at, a, at an affordable price. 100%. Last question. You referenced the median house price of around 480 I think you said. Around about 470s, yeah. 470s, all right. Uh, what then would you be buying in Hamilton Hill? Yeah, I, I'm definitely a believer of the land is what appreciates in price more so than the actual dwelling itself. Based on that, I'd be looking at a decent land holding. So I like the idea of a property that's got a house on there already, just for some intrinsic value, that being the rent. Yeah, it's a fallback. It's a fallback. But again, same as the Spearwood scenario, definitely with an ability to retain and subdivide. 
And that would also depend on your lifestyle. I mean, for me, I'd like to have an investment, another investment in Hamilton Hill, which I believe that would be a fantastic opportunity. If you're looking to build in Hamilton Hill, then potentially you're better off buying uh, a block of land, something that somebody subdivided of around about 500 square metres. So it's certainly a case by case. But for me, it's the, uh, the home that you can retain and subdivide. Where, or, would, where would that be? Well, again, back to before, the, the Chesham Sun development, for example, is a one green title proposed house on a, a square a block of over 900 square metres. So a green title proposed house of over 900 square metres of land and four survey strata large lots. So something like that, I think, would be very, very uh, a smart investment, either from the basis of knocking down and starting fresh or splitting or keeping and selling one or simply renovating and living in the home. For us who don't have a lot of background in the Chesham Sun uh, development, where is that specifically? So the address would go by 10 South End Road in Hamilton Hill and the name comes from two reasons really. Chesham as in Chesham Road behind South End Road. It's at the back of South End Road and sun in the sense of sunlight, light and uh, energy efficiency. And that's what this developer's got in mind. He wants to develop or give you a choice of four vacant blocks of land, but also allow you the opportunity to go through the build process with some assistance if you need. He's got Richard Hammond, a local architect on board, and Craig Bailey from EcoVision Homes also on board, able to help. So properties like that in that area work in that area. Yeah, I think you're very right. We've had um, Laurie Curtin in from Hilton, for example. Uh, She's of the same opinion. If you're going to do a development in that area, you need to appeal to the sustainability factor. Otherwise, it just won't sell. 100% correct. You've got to know the market and cater toward what they want. That should be the the first step in the majority of the the developments. In fact, know who is likely to be the buyer of the property and work backward from there in terms of working out how you can deliver it to them. Luke Trollio, thanks very much, Matt. Appreciate it. This is your second suburb. Go and get a third. Be top of that as well. <laughs> and uh, will we have you in again? Thanks, mate. Much appreciated as always. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!